and on the other side of whoa and it's like well you're buying into their narrative of on the other hand you have woke look i just support people's right to exist i support their right to be free i support their freedom that's not a woke concept the republicans can't even define what that means Talk about that. It's such a great contract. Here's what's going on with John Carlson. Empowering people, giving them freedom, giving them rights, delivering benefits, government views, South Carolina, taking away the South Carolina male governor is saying he knows. He's the one who's going to make the decision for women. He's going to be the one who controls their body. Let's pick this up on the other side of the break. Let's take a minute for our sponsor. No. No thanks. From shade to privacy Let fastgrowingtrees.com help you plant your dream garden with their expert advice and fast, reliable shipping. Fastgrowingtrees.com's plant experts curate thousands of. E- Save $50 at Lomi.com slash lights. (laughs) You can use the soil from your Lomi for your fast-growing tree. It's a perfect combination, right? Back to back. (laughs) (laughs) So as you were talking about abortion and this contrast of, of, you know, legislative work, Democrats versus Republicans, I was reminded of... um, the Texas legislature, and you know, I interviewed Representative James Teller a few weeks ago, uh, a superstar in Texas, Democrat, also a Christian, and I wanted to just give an update because um, there is so much that needs to be done in Texas that has not. This week was the anniversary of the Uvalde massacre. Um, Texas has not. Texas has been so repressive on the 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 needed gun safety legislation. They've had permitless carry and they refused to raise the the age limit to 21 um, on top of all other kinds of common sense um, measures that they could be taking. But one thing that Representative Tallarico and his colleagues were able to accomplish is they were able to block the Ten Commandments bill uh, from passing in the Texas House. So there will not be a mandated display of Ten Commandments in public schools in Texas, which, um, as our viewers, our luminaries know, I'm a Christian and I 100% agree with him that that is an idolatrous move um, from from a lot of very hypocritical politicians who do do not even live the faith that they pretend to espouse. So um, some, some little but... I could give you more news and going off what you said at the end there are people who profess to be one thing but are the complete opposite. They're Attorney General and there are articles of impeachment introduced by the Republican-controlled House, the investigative body, which was run by Republicans, appointed by the Republican Speaker of the House, did this investigation of Ken Paxton and identified numerous additional crimes. He's already under indictment since 2015 for engaging in state securities fraud, but they identified in this investigation numerous other crimes, retaliation against whistleblowers, and Ken Paxton's response to the Republican Speaker of the House was to ask for his resignation because the very Republican House Speaker in Texas 
a liberal and said this is a liberal attempt <laughs> to go after him. But it just goes to show you, you know, you, you know about that, you know, the famous poem. First they came for the socialists. I wasn't a socialist. I didn't do anything. And then they came for the trade unionists. I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews. I wasn't a Jew, so I didn't do anything. This Ken Paxton MAGA breed of Republicans, it, it, it's not a normal party. It's not a normal Republican party. We, I can have an intelligent conversation with someone who's truly conservative and loves our country who would never even think about trying to default and crash our economy. There may be some good ideas that we can have together, and I'm open to it. I probably will disagree, but I would be open-minded and try to search for the best idea and have a rational conversation. But this Ken Paxton, MAGA Republican style, I mean, these are people who go on, they're flat earthers, and, and they believe in things like, I saw this Tennessee MAGA Republican said, Obama creates tornadoes. This GOP chair in Georgia, uh, who says that, uh, who, who thinks that globes are part of a conspiracy to control Republicans. These aren't randos, okay? Like, these are actual people who are making decisions on policy who are MAGA Republicans. And so I, I just thought that was an important development in Texas as well. Yeah, we can't forget that Ken Paxton is the attorney general that submitted that ludicrous Hail Mary bid to get the Supreme Court to overturn the 2020 election. And, you know, why was he doing it? Was he doing it um, maybe to get a pardon from Trump for all his criminality? You know, criminal a lot of criminal back scratching going on here. But this is this is who they are. And as you were talking about, you know, uh, just kind of these Republicans going after each other, I was reminded of a couple of things. I was kind of transported back in time to when I worked on that Trump campaign and I went there, you know, delusional and ignorant and brainwashed, all those things that I always tell you. But I, I went there with the spirit of service and teamwork. And oh, my God. Oh, my God. I mean, that campaign, and it really is. I, I want... I really want our luminaries and our viewers to understand this. That side of the aisle is at war with itself, like big time. Okay, they are in self. They they are tripping over themselves and trying to, um, you know, out jockey each other for power nonstop. Okay, this is not a unified coalition of uh, people with a common purpose for good. They are a house divided. A house divided and what do they say about a house divided it cannot stand so you know with all of all of these really over power grabs these fascist attempts please never forget that we have the upper hand for so many reasons because we, we really I mean the democratic coalition and I include myself in that as an independent is so diverse but it has this unity of purpose for preserving our democracy and our freedom that's incredibly powerful. Right motives are power. They have bad motives and self a self-destructive nature that ultimately will bring them down. And it's only a question of how much damage can they do before they ultimately self-destruct. And that's where we come in to stop them from doing more damage before they ultimately, their evil catches up with them, which is inevitable. I'm a firm believer that good 
ultimately, inevitably prevails. Um, but, you know, understand that contrast and the, the power that we have because we are on the side of good versus this poison-free political party that is the GOP. They are not at one. They are not unified. They have no common purpose. Only, you know, their, their propaganda is their common purpose, but there is no genuine unity of vision or motive, and that makes them weak. We, on the other hand, are strong. You talk there about inevitability, right? Fascism is built on the foundation of projecting false inevitability, projecting false strength. That it is a foregone conclusion based on their propaganda that they will win. They project an image that they are bigger than they are. They are not. What's problematic is that the media buys into that narrative and puts it on the same grounds as kind of valid arguments and where Americans are. But just so you all know, that's simply not the case. And you also talked there, Jessica, about the MAGA Republicans being at war with itself as a party. They're also at war with themselves individually, right? These are very confused and miserable people who want to spread their misery using big government to attack you. They see your happiness. They see your joy, your love, your compassion. Why do they hate? Why do they hate Biden so much? One of the reasons they hate Biden is that he's a happy guy. He's a genuinely compassionate, loving person. And you could be on various political spectrums. But They're jealous. Hard. They're so jealous. <laughs> They're so jealous that he's a loving person who genuinely feels and who empathizes and expresses emotions. And, you know, you compare and contrast that. We did a story on this, and I was debating whether or not I, I wanted to cover it. But what happened with Lauren Boebert, this 911 tape surfaced of Lauren Boebert's son calling the police on his father back in December of 2022. Her son was being abused by the father. He was being beaten by the father. You can hear it on the 911 call. And as the son is speaking to the 911 operator from the sheriff's department, his voice trails off and then the phone goes silent. Then he calls back with his mom. And Lauren Bulber says, I'm his mom, he's fine, he's overreacting, nothing to worry about here, everything's good. I guess if you have to send the police, we're fine, don't worry about it. And the next day, you know what she posted? I think, I think hours later, something about Jesus and how, and, and this holier-than-thou attitude about conservatives and Jesus and how Democrats are living life that are opposed to, and it's like, Focus on your stuff. Focus on your Stop using government. Get it right in here. Yeah, get in right in here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what you said about their jealousy of Biden's happiness, I mean, it, it's so funny. I mean, so many things of, uh, you know, about the, the larger political scene, they are, my experience in 2016 was a microcosm of them in such tragic ways. I mean, I was such a happy, naive person on that campaign. And it was like that was that made me pray for these people my joy was pray um something that they could just wanted to devour because it, it was such a foreign yet enviable um attitude and it, it is what's going on on a larger scale and ultimately you know when i 
when I decided to sue the Trump campaign, it was to handle my own situation. It was like, you know, you're talking about Lauren Boebert has some, uh, you know, she should get out of the projection business and start to handle her own life and her own family. Um, you know, if these people really believed a word about that book they pretend to espouse, they would, they would understand that it starts within it starts within you can't do anything for the rest of the world and and God knows your heart. So going out and doing all of this performance is not something that's fooling a higher power if you believe in if, if you believe in that how higher power, that higher power knows your heart and it judges your heart. <laughs> um, but speaking of judging your heart and seeing where we are, recognizing where we are in our own lives and in history, um, I want to circle circle around to what's just these such fascist over attempts to um, erase history to to prevent people from understanding where we are in this moment I've said this before this is their this is their greatest um, uh, hope their greatest hope for keeping people in the shadows is to just erase erase history and they're doing it just on unbelievable levels in in Florida and I'm going to show you a video in a minute that just kind of gives you I know you shared it earlier this week I might have touched gives you just such a graphic um, picture of of the the breadth of book banning that's going on in Florida but have you heard of this TV show Ben called A Small Light I've not heard of it you not heard of it okay so it's a, it's it's I think it's um streaming on I know you know this network, ABC and Hulu. You might have a show that you produced on <laughs> over there, Killing County, but I think it's streaming on ABC and Hulu now. It's called Small Light. And um, I actually went to a screening of it earlier this week. It's about Meet Geese, who was um, a Austrian woman, young woman secretary living in Amsterdam. She is the one who housed Anne Frank and her family. Um, and I, I saw the last couple episodes of this um, of this show, and it was obviously very, very emotional. It's when the Nazis come and remove Otto Frank and Anne and her sister and mother and another family from Meep's um, house in Amsterdam. And it was so um, obviously emotional and upsetting to watch this. But more than anything, as I was watching this show, I was just Today, 
in the in the name of this moral superiority um, of you know indoctrinating quote unquote indoctrinating our children. That's the line that the Republicans use today to to defend banning books. Um, let's see here. You guys are so wonderful and patient for me. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, I know there was the word spiritual. They invoked the word spiritual. You know what? I apologize, everybody. I had this up front and I cannot find it right now. But I encourage you to go look up the article. It's, it's called The 90-Year Anniversary of, of Nazi Book Burning in Germany. And look at the definition of how they defined, um, how they qualified this, this burning of books, this uneducation, this real indoctrination from the elimination of knowledge and intelligence and perspective and empathy. That's indoctrination. Teaching people more information that they then have the conscience and ability to discern and, and glean for themselves what they will take is not indoctrination. The, the omission of knowledge is indoctrination. Um, and so it's happening, it's happening all over again. Um, and as we know, like you said, Ben, in Iran, it was literally one day, one way, the next day, another. Um, we cannot be too, I don't think it's hyperbolic to make these comparisons um, with, with what's going on today in Nazi Germany. You know, when I teach students, uh, when I teach last semester, you know, I talk about the Civil Rights Act I talk about uh, Title Nine. You know, I, I talk about some of these sweeping pieces of legislation, and then I even think back to bipartisan gun control bills that were passed. You know, as, as are back, back to like 1990. You know, I, I look at the speeches. Of, by the way, I disagree a lot with Ronald Reagan, so I'm not a I'm not a Reagan champion here. But you go back and you watch some of these debates between Reagan and George H.W. Bush and their views about being compassionate towards immigrants and having a pathway towards citizenship. It, it, it is directly different. So when I hear these talking points that somehow Democrats have changed and Republicans, it's the exact opposite. Like the Republican Party has fundamentally changed where if somebody like John McCain is an enemy of the party, that his legacy is not championed by the party. It tells you everything you need to know about the modern day Republican Party. It, it, it is, is nowhere near what it was like. And, and I mentioned those big sweeping pieces of legislation because, you know, this movement right now by MAGA Republicans is not part of the historical precedent, right? It is a counter reaction to significant progress that we've made and that we've championed and that we've celebrated. And really what's taken place, you know, with the plan, with memos that were being drafted, frankly, in the late 70s uh, by certain Republicans who are affiliated with Richard Nixon, people like Roger Ailes, who drafted, how do we create a right-wing propaganda network? There was literally a memo for that, a plan to create that. They've been working on this for 50 years in the shadows. And kind of like Iran, 
no one really saw it coming, right? Like, it, it's not like Target all of a sudden said this year, we're going to sell LGBTQ plus stuff this year for the very first time. It's not like drag queens were all of a sudden invented, you know, in the past six months. No, like, that, that, that's simply not the case. We were a more compassionate society that was a more accepting society. And by the way, we may have had people who felt hatred in their hearts, um, but leadership, leadership was pushing the country generally, not always, but generally towards the arc of let's do what's going on in Minnesota. <laughs> let's improve people's rights. Let's improve the standard of living. Let's enhance health care. Let's, let's improve people's lives. And it's been very, very, very sudden with this yeah. counter-reaction. Um, you know, and, and it, 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 the seeds have been there, but yes, right yeah. now there is this effort um, by these fascists to engage in this horrific conduct. Their intent, it's not hyperbolic, their intent is to overthrow our democracy. It is. And I think, you know, you're talking about some, you know, Roger Ailes and how, how he's kind of like, you know, you can group him into the clown, the clown caucus of the, you know, the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the, the Lauren Boberts, the Matt Gates, all of the very performative, outrageous people that this is the real tell to me that the uh, there are so many other um, Republicans today that. They know they're a clown caucus. They know they're dangerous. But this other, the 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 normal, the, the so-called team normal of the GOP, is will not renounce them. Okay. One thing I have learned in in my education of, of what you know what I was a part of is is those seeds you're talking about, Ben. That you've been this uh, preview of fascism came from, from their presidencies, the vilification of people who were fighting for civil rights, um, the, the, the attempt to paint, that paint them as terrorists while they were trying to, you know, get away with a police state and, and other um, very, you know, authoritarian um, attempts decades ago. So I, 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 I have educated myself and I have seen that this is not necessarily something that is new in the Republican Party. But like you said, instead of denouncing the worst, um, the worst parts of the GOP that, that surfaced during the Trump administration, they have fully embraced them and they have failed to condemn them. And that's why, you know, I don't, this Republican Party is desperate. You hear calls now that they're trying to beg people like Chris Christie and Glenn Youngkin to run for president. I'm going to tell you, Glenn Youngkin is no yet, no less dangerous than a fascist, than a fascist, than a DeSantis or a Trump. He is, he is right on board with the, um, this quote unquote indoctrination that translation, uh, fear mongering about indoctrination that translates into book book banning, anti-CRT, all of these these um, labels to, to fear-monger people and ultimately, ultimately take their rights away. He is not, um, you know, he puts on that vest to make himself and look a little bit less threatening, but all of these Republicans who fail to condemn the most extreme um, 
poison and disease in their party are almost in my mind and, and I think ultimately more dangerous because they they should be the leaders. They should be the ones that are that are the most outspoken about what is happening within their own house, but they failed to. And, and that makes them um, totally compromised and totally unfit for service. Um, before we take you out, I want to show you that video that I promised that that if you follow my set, you may have seen earlier this week. But let's just look. I mean, this is extreme at what MAGA Republicans and I'm going to tell you Republicans in general are interested in doing to keep themselves in power, erasing history and banning books in Florida. Look at this. This is a quick video. I'm at my school right now. I just want to show you something because the state just came just came last week and um decided what books were appropriate or inappropriate so i'm gonna figure out how to show you inappropriate this is a book that's been deemed inappropriate these are the boxes of books waiting to go out look how big this box is i'm gonna show you some of the titles show them this one too like for aviation yep we have um, 20th century writers. We have Rosemary in the Woods, American The Hauntist, The Big Lie. Right, it's all about Judaism. Women of Nigeria, Hitler, El Salvador. These are, those are, just, these are just a few of the books that have been deemed inappropriate. Lewis and Clark. They're removing these books from our library. What the fuck? Motherfucking Christ I, I, don't, I don't understand. Fuck them. Man, their resignation. Fuck them. So, yeah. Unfit. This is what's going on. There's a visual for you. It's It's bad. It's bad. So we got to... We gotta pull out all the stops, all the stops, and and we have our hands full between now and 2024. Trump in prison or not, we have our hands full. <laughs> I want to say this to all of the luminaries out there. Um, want to make sure you have a restful, enjoyable Memorial Day weekend with family, friends, colleagues, whoever you're spending it with. Um, please enjoy yourself. Smile. Um, and if you can spread the message about this pro-democracy community, share lights on with people, share the Midas Touch network with people. And we know that the luminary community is a interactive community. It's not something that we just talk to you and then you shut this off and then everybody goes about our day. This is a constant conversation that we're having about our democracy. And we are so grateful for all of the luminaries, for all of you. None of this is possible without you. We are very, very grateful. Also, in the description of this YouTube, um, and Jessica, what's the website if people want to help contribute to the Legal Defense Fund that you have in connection with your legal efforts with respect to Donald Trump? Because as our luminaries know, you are uh, embroiled in significant litigation. Oh, very Trump. much. It's yeah. thejessicadenson.com slash donate. Thejessicadenson.com slash donate. Jessica, I'll let you, of course, have the last word.
Great to have you back this week, Ben. Yes, absolutely. Everybody take care of yourselves. You all, I just, I think I say this a lot, but I don't think I can say it enough. You, you have brought so much light to me. <laughs> I hope I'm bringing light to you. You all have brought so much love and light to me and made me feel part of something where it's, it's been a very lonely um, fight for a lot of these past six years. And I'm so grateful to have found all of you and to be able to share this with you every week. Um, so much love to all of you. And um, and let's think of think of those people who literally sacrificed their lives for our freedom as we go into this Memorial Day. I hope you all have a very healthy and happy Memorial Day. And until next time, we love our luminaries and shout out to the Midas Mighty. Hmm. Looking for a chicken. account for all my chickens. Looks like I find all of them except for one. Okay. So thanks for one sixty one K. And uh I'm all caught up. Michael Cohen is ready for more Trump indictments three days ago. And in this specific case, uh, Judge Mershon, who, let me be very clear from uh, what took place today, he ain't playing. So let's break down those two separate Cohen-related updates so that everybody, um, you know, understands the implications and import of everything that that you just said let me try to analyze the first thing that you talked about at a technical level and um, from my legal background which is you mentioned rule 11 sanctions motion that you will be filing against donald trump by the way to all the brigaders out there what i love about the show is that you break the news here on the show for the brigaders like that's a big deal right there yeah, so more so than people yeah you're right ben more so than people even understand you know because rule 11 he, motions are not things that are common right i mean i'm right i, I mean how many times have you Seen a judge actually sanction a lawyer for representing the interests of his clients? Well, the answer is it's not common. However, when you have somebody who's as litigious as Donald is, this is this is a warning to him and to his counsel that you intend to file and waste resources. You know, the judge's uh, time and the court's resources by filing these frivolous motions, you are going to get sanctioned. And I just, again, want to um, remind everyone that the last one that took place about six weeks ago in the Southern District of Long Beach resulted in a $1 million fine. 
to Trump and to uh, his counsel for that case, and that's uh, Trump versus Clinton. That was $1 million uh, between Trump and Alina Haba. You know, what was interesting in the Alina Haba case, and I'm going to legally geek out here, uh, Trump and Alina Haba were actually sanctioned in that lawsuit, and that was the case that they brought uh, against Hillary Clinton and like 30 other uh, people related to Hillary Clinton, and just spread all of these defamatory statements. The judge said that the underlying lawsuit basically looked like his the rantings and ravings of like a of his social media account. So there was one group of defendants in that case that brought the Rule 11 sanctions motion, and that was granted. And the judge in and Judge Middlebrooks talked about how Trump is a vexatious litigant and uses his political action arms to engage in this abusive process. Actually, the Hillary Clinton sanction motion with about a dozen or so other people was actually brought under the inherent authority of the federal court based on how frivolous it was, but Rule 11 sanctions were granted regarding the first uh, sanctions that were uh, ruled on by Judge Middlebrooks. Now, you talk about this case that Donald Trump filed against you in the Southern District of Florida, because these concepts are related. The reason that he brought this case in the Miami division and not the West Palm Beach division is precisely because he got sanctioned by Judge Middlebrooks. So he brought the case already knowing that he's a vexatious litigant to try to go judge shopping. Fortunately, it's in front of a law and order judge. So what you've just announced here for the first time on beatdown to the brigaders is that you are bringing a Rule 11 sanctioned motion for people who go, what's Rule 11? Under the federal rules of civil procedure, this case was filed in federal court, so the federal rules of civil procedure govern. When a lawyer affixes their signature to a pleading, they are certifying that it is a good faith pleading. And basically, Rule 11 sanctions goes after the lawyer for filing a bad faith pleading and signing their names. And there are serious, serious monetary sanctions attached to that. So the Rule 11 sanction procedure is, first there's a safe harbor window where you basically serve the lawyer with the Rule 11 sanctions motion before it actually gets filed. Then the lawyer has about 21 days to 21 days. voluntarily dismiss the lawsuit. If they don't voluntarily dismiss it, then the Rule 11 gets filed, and then that coincides with your motion to dismiss that you previously filed, and your lawyer will probably have those heard concurrently. Sorry, I had to geek out on Rule 11 for a little bit right there. <laughs> well, you did a great, you did a great job. Almost, I mean, that was almost as good as your boxing stance. Remember, when you have your hands <laughs> up, then you got to cover the face. No, you got to. <laughs> You got to cover the face. You can't keep it like this. got to <laughs> keep it tight. Elbows in, my man. Elbows I hear you. In. Before the brigaders, they got to know it's me. They got <laughs> to know that. They, they got to know they me. They, they recognize you pretty well. And look, one thing that we saw here today is that uh, Judge, um, you know, Mashan, he, he's not playing games here. Uh, you know, there's been a significant number of threats against the prosecutor, uh, Alvin Bragg, against, um, you know, the DA, uh, his family, the prosecutorial team, witnesses, and so on. And Donald obviously realizes exactly what he's doing. And then again, 
you know, I want people to remember that the lawsuit, this sort of ridiculous lawsuit, was filed only, what, four or five weeks after the determination by Judge Middlebrooks in the Palm Beach case. So he clearly did not learn a lesson. Let me also remind our brigaders that this idiot in chief of our, the former idiot in chief of ours, went ahead and the day after he got whacked with this $5 million judgment, this this try um, from the trial in the E. Jean Carroll case for the sexual assault as well as the defamation, this moron goes ahead and he says the same shit the next day on CNN during that town hall. Well, as what as I expected and as I called it, Robbie Kaplan, um, you know, E. Jean's um, attorney, Roberta Kaplan, is also not playing games. They filed suit again against Donald for the exact same thing as what they were just successful during a jury trial of securing this $5 million decision. I mean, if that's not the definition of stupidity, I'm not sure I can figure out what is. Well, I'll give you another one. <laughs> then he sued through his Trump media group, the Washington Post, for $3.2 billion. Like, if you actually go and read that lawsuit, which unfortunately I had to do in terms of reporting on the news, there's some places in that lawsuit where it says $3.2 billion. There are some places where it says $2.2 billion. And like this $500 million lawsuit that was filed against you, this $3.2 billion lawsuit was brought by a lawyer who frankly should not be bringing this case, which is one of the reasons I think why you're bringing the Rule 11 sanctions motion. This case that Trump filed against Washington, the Washington Post was from a solo practitioner in the Tampa area who practices in workers' compensation law. And look, no, no hate on that, but he just $3, 2000000000 dollar defamation case against the Washington Post on very frivolous grounds. And these lawyers need to understand what's happening to Alina Haba. They need to understand what's happening to Parlatori. And Cohen, no one gives the word. Ben, look at everybody. Corcoran, Giuliani, Christina Bob. Uh, you know, you have, uh, what do you call it? You have Alina Haba. You have now Alejandro Brito. You saw what happened to myself. Every lawyer. You know, I, I know and I, I hate it when they say, you know what MAGA stands for? Make attorneys, get attorneys. It's it's hurtful, but it's true. The guy doesn't care. He got Christina Bob, for example, using Boris Epstein, who is a guy who practiced law for what, six months? Right, six months, and now all of a sudden he's a legal advisor that's sitting at a table when Donald Trump is a defendant in a criminal case. The guy has no criminal law experience. Zilch. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. He's sitting at a table where a former president, for the first time in United States history, is being charged with a crime. 
I mean, this is unprecedented. And you have a guy who's sitting at that table with no criminal law experience at all. I mean, why not just why not just bring on anybody who has a law degree to sit at that table to show strength? You know, look, I, I don't know what to say other than the whole thing is like a shit show. It's like a bunch of ass clowns just sitting there. Harlator, who was, you know, who's a good lawyer. Don't yep. get me wrong. He is a well-known and he's a competent attorney. He could not take it anymore. Understandably so. And so what did he do? He turned around and he said, look, you know, um, I've had enough. There was also an attorney, if I'm not mistaken, who smartly took $3 million from Trump as a retainer. And I forget, uh, you know, which case it was that Evan was. Corcoran. $3 million retainer. You don't hear a thing from that guy. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, let me be very clear about this. There's, Donald is possibly one, one of the in. most <laughs> difficult that a lawyer can have. He doesn't respect client. your law license. That's certainly for sure. He also doesn't respect process. He believes that he can create the process simply because that's what he wants. And so your job is to figure out how to take his whacked out process and utilize it in whether it's a hearing, whether it's for a motion, whether it's for a trial, and so on. Now, look, I'm going to tell you one more thing. I have an upcoming trial against Trump in July, uh, July 24th. We are going to trial the pre-settles. Um, so far, I don't see that happening. But we're going to trial for the legal fees that I incurred, that much of it is still owed to different law firms uh, for representation of him. At, that was done at his direction, his request, and obviously for his benefit. So, you know, that case is going to trial as well. And he does not believe that he should be held accountable for anything. But one thing that we have seen, at least over the course of the last six months, Donald is being held accountable for more than just legal fees. He's being held accountable for even things like filing these ridiculous lawsuits, these frivolous lawsuits. We're going to talk a little bit as well of this bombshell Wall Street Journal headline about how Trump is uh, likely going to be, uh, people in Trump's orbit believe he's likely going to be indicted soon by the special counsel. And the fact that that's coming from the Wall Street Journal, a Murdoch-controlled paper, tells you something as well. I I just want to read you this portion, Cohen, from the Rule 11 sanctions order that actually preceded the million-dollar inherent authority sanctions order by Judge Middlebrooks. I'm sure your lawyer has this exact quote lined up for your Rule 11 sanctions motion. Let me just read it to the brigaders. This is from Judge Middlebrooks when he issued Rule 11 sanctions against uh, Donald Trump and Alina Habba. Judge Middlebrooks, the federal judge in the Southern District of Florida, Florida writes, so who is responsible for this case and others like it? The rule of law is undermined by the toxic combination of political fundraising with legal fees paid by political action committees, reckless and factually untrue statements by lawyers at rallies and in the media, and efforts to advance a political narrative through lawsuits. 
Real History, the Controversy Surrounding the Michigan Brolics. In a public museum, in the center of the United States, there exists a collection of archaeological relics so unexpected that they challenge the imagination. These artifacts tell of an ancient people that existed in North America before Columbus. The language symbols on the artifacts come from the Mediterranean, Egyptian hieroglyphics, Greek letters, and cuneiform writing. The artifacts were all discovered in the state of Michigan, at the center of the Great Lakes region. Thousands of artifacts discovered in 17 counties over a span of more than 25 years. Artifacts that have survived under a cloud of uncertainty. Are they the artifacts of a hoax or are they the artifacts of history? Either way, they've come to be known as the Michigan relics. Six days ago. When they were first discovered, interest in the Michigan relics was intense, but they would fall into obscurity, becoming all but forgotten, to be rediscovered, re-examined, and put on display a hundred years after their first appearance. They have been labeled as frauds by scientists and investigators several times since their discovery. Yet, these artifacts continue to inspire independent researchers who are certain that the artifacts contain important historical facts, facts that have profound religious and cultural implications. The artifacts are kept here in the Michigan Historical Museum. When they arrived at the museum in 2003, John Halsey was the Michigan State archeologist. The task fell to Dr. Halsey to protect and preserve these artifacts that are a part of the largest archeological controversy in American history. The Michigan relics were a series of objects that were found in various parts of uh, north central and southeastern Michigan starting in 1890 and running up to about 1920. The first ones that we're aware of were discovered by a man named James Scottford who discovered a clay cup while digging fence posts up near Wyman in Montcalm County. Scottford went about the community showing these things off and uh, getting the people really excited about uh, these artifacts that were that he had discovered out there. So a number of people in the local community went out with Scottford, dug into small uh, mound-like rises, probably not really true burial mounds, but uh, they started finding things, finding copper things, finding slate objects. And so this led some of the city fathers to say, hey, there may be some money to be made in this. And under the tutelage of Scottford, they went out and did a whole lot more digging and found a whole lot more stuff. Their goal in doing this was to sell these things to the Smithsonian Institution. But before they did this, somebody said, eh, maybe we ought to have somebody who knows something about artifacts look at these. And they got a professor from Lake Forest College in Illinois to come up and look at them. And uh, he looked at them, but not for very long before said, these are, these are fakes. And they're not just fakes, they're bad fakes. Guys, you got really nothing here. And they dissolved the archeological trust and, and it probably should have died uh, right, right then. It was not the end of the story, however, as Scottford would continue to show up with artifacts for the next 30 years. He eventually moved to Detroit and uh, Suddenly, he started finding artifacts in the Detroit area. But now, the artifacts they were finding had 
begun to turn more to slate and copper. By 1906, Scottford was listed in the Detroit City Directory as a painter of signs. In that same directory was the listing for a Daniel E. Soper, who listed his profession as investments. Soper would become a dominant player in the story of the Michigan relics. Soper was a flamboyant personality with a dubious past. Soper was a former uh, Michigan Secretary of State who had uh, been forced out of office because of uh, some questionable activities. He had taken up the cause of the relics, and eventually Soper became the promotional guy for it, uh, sort of a low-grade uh, P.T. Barnum. He was, he was really promoting these things. On many of the Michigan artifacts were images of what looked like biblical scenes, indicating a Judeo-Christian people had, at one time, inhabited Michigan and then disappeared. Soper showed the artifacts to the highly regarded pastor of Holy Trinity Church in Detroit. Detroit. Yeah. It looks kind of fake. I live in Michigan. And every few years someone digs a foundation and finds a new Ice Age set of animal remains and nothing else has been found since this guy left the state that says all you need to know. <laughs> are other scriptures and the other scriptures known as the Book of Mormon basically talks about a group of people that left Jerusalem and ended up in the New World somewhere and so whenever some archaeological find comes along that talks about large civilizations with roads and buildings and cities in the New World they get excited about it. The Michigan relics have three main groupings some are made of clay some are made of slate, carved slate, and some are made from copper. For the Mormons, to find copper plates with inscriptions was reminiscent of the original text of the Book of Mormon, which was not on copper plates, but on gold plates. So when Mormons heard about plates with inscriptions, oh, they were quite excited because here's verification of what they had been uh, thinking about and talking about ever since the uh, 1830s. While the discovery of the relics would generate excitement, they also produced frustration. The artifacts promised the great potential of filling in some biblical mysteries, and yet no one could read the artifacts. What made the Michigan relics distinctive was, first of all, almost all of them had a very distinctive mark series of uh, actually scratches, uh, which eventually became known as the mystic symbol. We don't know what it was supposed to be. If you look at it quickly, it has uh, something like the IHS, the Christian IHS. What distinguishes them, moreover, is the size of some of the objects, and uh, particularly the slate objects. They're large, they're heavy, and they, in many cases, also have what has been called writing, uh, lots of symbols, but it is not in any of the known Indo-European languages. Interpreting the languages on the tablets would prove to be the most enigmatic aspect of the Michigan relics. 
One interested Mormon of the day was the Bishop Rudolf Etzenhauser. He was a member of a breakoff group from the Mormon Church, and he was a bishop. Etzenhauser was very enthusiastic about the discovery of the relics in Michigan. He even joined Soper on a dig. Etzenhauser commissioned a pamphlet of photographs of artifacts, hoping the writing on the relics would come to the attention of someone who could interpret them. The pamphlet can who could interpret them. The pamphlet without fact pamphlet contained good quality photos and some information about the dates and site locations for the discovery of the artifacts. There is also a portrait of a studious Daniel Soper examining an artifact. Hudsonhauser's credit to Soper would prove ironic. To Daniel without factual basis or any cognizable legal theory. Lawyers are enabling this behavior, and I am pessimistic that Rule 11 alone will theory. The State Bar dispatched to the Brigaders. This is from Judge Middlebrooks when he issued Rule 11 sanctions. Trump's frivolous suits. Uh, Donald Trump and Alina Habba. Judge Middlebrooks, the federal judge in the Southern District of Florida, writes, So who is responsible for this case and others like it? The rule of law is undermined by the toxic combination of political fundraising with legal fees paid by political action committees. Reckless and factually untrue statements by lawyers at rallies and in the media, and efforts to advance a political narrative through lawsuits without factual narrative. basis or any cognizable. theory. Lawyers are enabling this behavior, and I am pessimistic that Rule 11 alone can effectively stem this abuse. Aspects may be beyond the purview of the judiciary, requiring attention of the state bar and state bar dis to the brigaders. This is from Judge Middlebrooks when he issued Rule 11 sanctions against uh, Donald Trump and Alina Habba. Judge Middlebrooks, the federal judge in the Southern District of Florida, writes, So who is responsible for this case and others like it? The rule of law is undermined by the toxic combination of political fundraising with legal fees paid by political action committees, reckless and factually untrue statements by lawyers at rallies and in the media, and efforts to advance a political narrative through lawsuits without factual basis or any cognizable legal theory. Lawyers are enabling this behavior, and I am pessimistic that Rule 11 alone can effectively stem this abuse. Aspects may be beyond the purview of the judiciary, requiring attention of the state bar and state bar to the brigaders. This is from Judge Middlebrooks when he issued Rule 11 sanctions against 
uh, Donald Trump and Alina Haba. Judge Middlebrooks, the federal judge in the Southern District of Florida, writes, so who is responsible for this case and others like it? The rule of law is undermined by the toxic combination of political fundraising with legal fees paid by political action committees, reckless and factually untrue statements by lawyers at rallies and in the media, and efforts to advance a political narrative through lawsuits without factual basis or any cognizable legal theory. Lawyers are enabling this behavior, and I am pessimistic that Rule 11 alone can effectively stem this abuse. Aspects may be beyond the purview of the judiciary, requiring attention of the state bar and state bar to the brigaders. This is from Judge Middlebrooks when he issued Rule 11 yeah, sanctions yeah. against can effectively stem this abuse. Aspects may be beyond the purview of the judiciary, requiring attention of the state bar and state bar disciplinary authority. Additional sanctions may be... Let me just push up a shit. Okay, so I think this is what I'm trying to say. Okay, so these promo cards. Your sister... I think shit's dumb. Okay, well, welcome back. To live, Michael Cohen is ready for more Trump indictments. Appropriate, but legal filings like those at issue here should be sanctioned under Rule 11, both to penalize this conduct and deter similar conduct by these lawyers and others. You have a federal judge who says that, and then you have lawyers who say, sign me up, I'm ready to basically be a... <laughs> I've called them before on the show, it's like kamikaze lawyering. I mean, it's people, you've given them the warning, Cohen, years ago. You said to everybody, don't do this. I'm telling you what's going to happen. And yet you see over and over and over again. Do we not see the same thing with members of Congress? I warned Republicans and Democrats, not just when I was providing the information in the skiff. That was like five or six hearings with members of Congress, um, but I did it also live on television when I spoke before, uh, God rest his soul, Elijah Cummings, Congressman Cummings, before the House Oversight Committee. When I said to Jim Jordan, and I said to Mark uh, Meadows, I know what you're doing, and look what happened to me. Nothing good is going to come out of this. I knew exactly the playbook that they were trying to run, the play that they were trying to run, and from which playbook, because I wrote it, and I warned them what would happen, and look what's happened now. I mean, you know, Jim Jordan, he's a member of Congress, for God's sake. You know, represent the interests of the country, represent the Constitution of the United States. You cannot put your allegiance in, you know, one man. Above and beyond that, as the American people and the Constitution of the United States of America without looking like a total jackass. And right now, I believe that Jim Jordan is making an asshole out of himself, plain and simple. You know, when you have people like Jamie Raskin, when you have people like Dan Goldman, when you have people like Congressman Steve Cohen and half a dozen other members of Congress that have stood up before this, this sort of Mickey Mouse committee, of Jim Jordan, and they come prepared with the facts, 
not the bullshit innuendo. They come with the fucking facts and they say to him, sir, you are wrong. And I'm going to now declare my time, so please don't interrupt. And they go on to talk about how Trump and Bill Barr, who I don't understand how Bill Barr and Ty Cobb are getting the airtime that they are on CNN. This makes no sense to me at all. But you have these folks who are standing up right now, and they are basically giving out little tidbits of information on shit that they did, ready for these words, at the direction of, in coordination with, and for the benefit of that time, President Donald J. Trump. Well, why don't you come out with all of the truth? You know, 